when you're looking for front row tickets to Grusselmania. <laughs> yes. It's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello, hello. Nick, how are you? Well, I'm doing better now. Uh, <laughs> as the aforementioned news has broken, that long-sought Whitecaps target Julian Gressel is coming to Vancouver. So I'm I'm doing good. <laughs> now long sought, here's my here's the thing, and, and I'm willing to take this on. Long sought by the Whitecaps or long sought by us. Oh, I fully meant long sought by us. Apparently, <laughs> apparently also by Axel Schuster, but I, as soon as I saw the news, I was like, have we not had this discussion before when uh Gressel was first traded to DC. We were like, well, if we'd known that was a player that was available, we would have <laughs> pushed for that to happen in Vancouver. And now it has happened. Um, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. It, it, it's something that has come up in terms of the Brian white was also like this too. The type of player mm-hmm. where um, a player that's doing well in MLS right now that, you know, often when they tend to move, some of this is expansion draft stuff, but like you know, you look at players like say Diego Fagundes or 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 yeah. you know Alex Ring, where it's like, well, they could move around. You know, they established themselves in the league. They moved around, but we mm-hmm. we we the Whitecaps would not always seem to land those players. Now, I feel like it is also extremely Whitecaps that, that we have to start this off with sympathy for the player in terms of mistreatment by our club. Not the white gaps this time, but um, but yeah. the the notion, you know, as he's as he stated, I can't remember where I read this that he was essentially like doing. He was on the training table when he he was pulled off the training table into a meeting where he was being told that he was going to get traded. Yeah, well, and he actually talked about it on his his soccer podcast um, with he which he does with Fabian Herbers. Um, and just sort of like walked through the whole process. And yeah, he's sort of saying like to be dressed in the gear of the club that you're getting let go from without any sort of heads up. Um, and, and also not having any chance to talk to your new club, just being told, Hey, this has happened. I mean, I certainly like that. It seems weird as like a higher profile player for DC to be treated that way. But we also, know that this happens in MLS, unfortunately, where players have very little time to adjust and just get the news that they no longer play for the club and they're going somewhere else. Um, not to excuse the behavior, but it, it is a thing that we know can happen in this league. Um, so it, it kind of sucks that, like you said, it's very white caps for it to, there's some sort of like other side of the coin <laughs> to consider here. It kind of feels um, like the time, it kind of feels like the time that, um, Alain Rochette got traded by phone, and everyone is like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. That sucks." Um, except yeah. now it's the it's the other the other side of the scenario where it's like, "Well, I want to acknowledge that that shouldn't have happened to you. Um, hope this doesn't suck for you, bud. Hope you have a good time here." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of me is like, "What well, with the white caps, you probably want to sleep with one eye open." But I do believe <laughs> Gressel's coming in as a a more permanent ongoing fixture and not somebody that will be traded away. But 
Yeah, we've been huge fans of Julian Gressel for a long time, and I, I just think this is a trade that makes a lot of sense. It's good competition for Dahomey in that position. Um, Lord knows Gressel can cross a ball into the box. We got players that can get on the end of that, so I'm happy for once. <laughs> Let the record show on this day, just this day, I'm happy. So that's the big, that's the, that's the big, you know, uh, stoke point. I didn't really see this pop out in at first, and I honestly think that this is like a p a piece of transfer news of all the transfer news that is happening that could like truly shoot shake the outcome of the season. Um, Teddy Castellanos to uh, Girona, the the City Football Group um, entry in Spain. Yeah, yeah, it seems like Tati has played his last game for New York City FC, um, which we'll, we'll get for to, now. but it, it's for now. Um, yeah, we'll certainly see what, what happens there. I think as of recording, I don't think it's been officially announced, but certainly I think just about everywhere is confirmed that there's something there. It's, it's ongoing. It hasn't been officially done yet. Um, and Signal's a, a massive end of an era for New York City FC. Um, how, however, this is something they've been through before um, with really high-impact players, and so, of course, the question becomes, who does City bring in? Uh, they won't be shy in spending in this area, but um, I I feel kind of sad about this, which <laughs> I know, like, if you're not a City fan, it feels like you're just supposed to hate Tati Castellanos, but he's just been such good fodder for goals and turning, uh, getting something out of nothing and, and really entertaining everyone in the league that part of me is like, ah, man, all right, I, <laughs> I guess I, I guess La Liga is a good opportunity, fine. I feel like it's not, um, you know... Out of bounds to say that I, I think that the league has not capitalized on Castellanos as a star in the same way it capitalized as on, say, Joseph Martinez. You know, like, um, yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that at the risk of none of this is at the risk of, like, you know, leaning too hard on something that I don't think should be an operational priority, I think that, like, one of the first emotions that I have about it is that like a random, a random promoted club. I don't know. Maybe I'm being snooty about that, but it's just like, I always assumed when Castellanos would move on, it would be to, you know, um, you know, a club in Europe or, or a club, a club competing in, in European club competitions. Um, a slightly higher profile European team. You mean? Yeah. You know, somebody yeah. somebody comes in and, and decides they want him, and and the club says, okay, well, we've got to let them this player go to you know to um to chase their dreams. Even though, I mean, I guess you could ask, like, is it really that lower of a priority than say Newcastle at the time that Almiron went to Newcastle? Uh, maybe not, but the there is a feeling here that. It there is an aspect of like, well, this is what happens when you don't control your transfer policy. You know, when you're in when you're in a group where you know you this club is getting promoted and they think we need to do something for this club, so they subtract from your team and add to the other team um, because that's 
because they have the ability to do that. Um, because they can. Because they can. So that's the thing. Like it's a loan, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen, and, and presumably, if it is going to be a longer term um, scenario, they if it was going to be a longer term scenario, they would have to probably do a transfer. But you know, they're in terms of like you know, are they going to get money back from this that they can reinvest? I don't know how that would work when you're selling from yourself to yourself. Like the Girona is only forty is only forty seven uh it's forty seven forty nine percent owned by City Football Group, um but it's just this it has that uh, it has that strange aspect of like well if you were doing a loan and everyone was working together wouldn't you have this player join at the conclusion of the MLS season like. I know you would kind of want to have a preseason or whatever, but you could... Yeah, not if you're prioritizing one club over another, I don't think. You all work together. You could just give You could just give Castellanos those two weeks in August off and send him to this club's preseason camp. <laughs> you know, and without... But I wonder, too, if there's a sense with New York that this has been something they're planning for, they've been planning for for a while, and so it... <clears throat> it might make the most sense for them to just rip the bandaid off now. And I mean, they're in a, <laughs> they're in a good position. I mean, they're sitting one point behind Philadelphia in second place in the league. They've been defensively sound. I mean, Castellanos has been as good as he always is, but the whole team has been good as well. So I, I just wonder if that factor is in, but I would honestly say that it's probably just the fact that, uh, the La Liga side's been prioritized. <laughs> I guess again, you can do that. The uh, it's just there's also just this aspect I think for for New York that it's been the transfer momentum is not here, it's not there for some reason. The transfer momentum is LAFC, which has made another acquisition this week. What is happening? They got Sebastian Mendes from Orlando. <laughs> how how can they possibly have all other than you know, I raised this last week about stacked contracts. Yeah. Um, this is kind of bonkers. It's, it is a little bonkers. I mean, I thought Mendez had done well for Orlando. I don't, I honestly can't feel like I've heard his name a lot recently, but I can't say I've also been watching a ton of Orlando games. So I don't know exactly how, uh, how much he's been. Uh, showing for them, but I certainly remember some of his amazing goals and his contributions to Orlando. So, yeah, it, it feels familiar. It feels kind of like the first two years of LAFC, where it was like every week there was a new signing and it was another, you know, attacking piece. And you're just like, really? Are are all of these players actually going to get to play at, at some point? Um, but, you know, they're continuing to make moves and, and signal their intentions to... Uh, just cling on to that top spot in the West for with, for dear life. So we had uh, two since we've spoke uh, two you know match day, match weeks. They they had uh, goal all the goals from week twenty up on Wednesday night, and it's just like ah uh, yes the the classic three day week. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything specifically that, that, that caught your eye with that? Do you want to go and break that down, or is there, there are some uh, some key moments there for you in that week? 
Yeah, I think um, I'm I, I mostly sort of in, you know, getting my stuff together for the show is thinking mainly about the most recent uh, Saturday-Sunday games. But one thing I thought just worth mentioning before we kind of dive into it all is just there's a pretty big gap opening up in the Western Conference. There's eight points between third place RSL and second place Austin. Um, LAFC, of course, is in first with 42 points. Um, and it's pretty similar in the East as well with Philadelphia and New York City ahead by five and six points. And then, again, sort of a gap there. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out as the, the top two teams in each conference are st- sort of pulling away from everyone else. And then those fifth, sixth, and seventh po- uh, spots, in again, in both conferences are definitely starting to look uh, a little bit more compacted, shall we say. So it's starting to feel like, you know, our top four teams right now, it's probably a good chance they're still going to be the top four teams when we get to MLS Cup. Um, but just a thing I wanted to make note of before we kind of dive into the action. That's interesting because I think that, that if I had to, um, if I had to analyze that, it would say it was because, you know, the, the, the teams in 3-4 and even 5 in the West, Salt Lake, Minnesota, and Nashville, um are all kind of having, you know, one week on, one week off sort of things, as I, as I think New York and Montreal have had as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I would say that from that past week, um, some of the things that jumped out with to me, uh, Ronaldo Cisneros' two goals against Salt Lake were great. Um, the uh, Duran looked great in Chicago's 2 nothing goal. Uh, uh, win against Toronto with two huge breaks. Um, uh-huh. two, two huge breakaways. Uh, the um, Iguain scored an amazing goal with the commentator saying "Takes it, he takes the super moon into consideration. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, uh, LA Galaxy having that wild uh, three three two game that seems that with with um, San Jose going up two goals and then yeah. eventually uh, um, oh was it the other way around I have it as three two but I think it was I think it was San Jose winning that yeah winning that I think it was two yeah so amazing away win. Galaxy has been having some issues. The other thing that I wanted to say, because I think it'll it'll tie right into this next week coming up, is um, from week two was the so we had this two two uh, we had this two two draw with Columbus with the inj- with the injury time uh, goal from Old Kamara. Um, Cujo is looking great for Columbus, and I feel like we also yeah. saw that again on the weekend. We sure did. Um... Yeah, and maybe that's how we can sort of climb into this week's or, or this weekend's games is talking about Cucho, who's, uh, let's just say, adjusted well. Um, he's, he's scored four goals in his first three games, so uh, he's doing fine. Um, and this game against Cincinnati, uh, which is worth noting, uh, Lucho Acosta was out for this one because of some business with the referee last game week. He's suspended for two and got fined. Uh, you can't put your hands on a referee. So I felt like Cincinnati actually didn't play terribly in this uh, rivalry match, but we're definitely missing that creative spark. 
Um, Eloy Room was great in this one. It was a Zellerion free kick to the head of Cucho that got uh, them off the mark. I mean, he just seems to have been built for Columbus. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like, you know, a lot of questions were being asked of Caleb Porter earlier on in this season. And I just sort of kept thinking in the back of my head, like, I, I get it. And I'm scratching my head, too. But we've doubted him before. And he seems to always have be thinking ahead to the thing that will be the fix. And certainly you can't fault the logic with bringing in Cucho Hernandez. He's just been uh, phenomenal in front of goal. Um, and then there's a Zellerayon penalty kick in the 86th minute to give Columbus all three points in that one. I don't, I mean, overall, Cincinnati has just been so much better. Um, so a, a disappointing loss for them in a big rivalry match, but they are sitting right behind Columbus in the table right now. And Cincinnati is definitely starting to look like they can kind of hold their own a bit more in this league. Oh yeah, they've been they've been doing great. The the players that they have got have been good. Um, I just look at a, a, a match like these two for for Columbus and just think like they could be they could be coming back. It's been tough for them. It's they they're going to have to get better results, but um, but that's an that's an interesting. These are interesting developments as you you point out about those. Those final spots in the West getting compacted—that's part of it—is uh, is perhaps Columbus being able to execute a turnaround. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, with that result, they they closed a, a bit of that gap for themselves in in the East. Um, where shall we go next? Gareth Bale and oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> Giorgio Chiellini made their appearances. Um, in L- in uh, Nashville, both of them complained about it being too hot. Which, folks, <laughs> you play in Los Angeles. Uh, you've got three more trips to Texas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they make the adjustment. But I was also like, it's not like it's chilly in Italy all the time, but. <laughs> Um, how would you rate Chiellini two matches in? I mean, I so think he's subbed on in his midweek game, and then I've only seen the the, the highlights, so I need to I need to really uh, kind of get a full eyeball um, of him because I I feel that that um, and it, it wouldn't necessarily, but it, the the it hasn't transferred to the same way uh, in in that format. Of course, Bale yeah. didn't have really much going on; he came in late. Um, but I think that, uh, LAFC, you know, um, accounted for themselves well in this match. I thought that, that Nashville did too. We we're kind of looking at these, these, uh, you know, they, they came off that, that one, nothing win in, in Seattle and they didn't get it here, but, um, I thought that they had a very good, uh, accounting of themselves. Yeah, I mean, at the time, watching the the highlights for this game, I I sort of thought I didn't see a a ton from Nashville, and they have been dropping points of late. But, I mean, giving them some credit, they are also playing against LAFC, who just brought in two new arrivals. Um, And, you know, LAFC does this to teams. Um, Mukhtar gets a penalty for the the lone Nashville goal. It's Arango and Sefuentes who score. 
uh, in quick succession to bring LAFC all three points. Um, I like, I loved, uh, uh, Cifuentes was great. Got the bang, banged in the goal, uh, that second goal from, from Vela. Um, almost had one in the first half stoppage time. Yeah. Cifuentes is, is just so good. I mean, that whole front forward four or five players are, are so good. Latif Blessing was combining really well. Vela was great. You know, and LAFC is looking harder and harder to beat. And I also felt like in this game, you know, they had maybe a couple more gears in them. They they didn't look like... They, they looked like they broke a sweat, but it, it felt like, you know, on another day, maybe a little sharper, they could have done some, some real damage here. But I agree. I think Nashville gave a, a fine accounting for themselves, and maybe their levels have dropped a, a little bit. But when you look at where they're positioned, uh, fifth in the West right now, um, defensively maybe not as rock solid as they have been, and, and also struggling to find the goal at times but I still think in a pretty good position and also I feel like when Nashville struggles they lose a game here they draw a game there but it doesn't it's not like the bottom completely falls out of it (laughs) at least so far so I think if you're a Nashville fan you know you're you're sort of looking on at things with a a slight bit of worry but ultimately I, I think Nashville is still set up to do very well this season. In uh, Miami versus Charlotte, we had a very early Charlotte goal in the first 30 seconds from Jordi Reyna, who ran onto the ball and clipped it in before the defense could arrive. Um, yeah, didn't necessarily think we'd be talking about a Jordi Reyna uh, brace this week, but here, <laughs> here we are. Yeah, and Miami just very typically not looking ready from the kickoff, uh, just scrambling. I mean... 28 seconds in is is really something. <laughs> um, it was it was interesting too to see uh, Alejandro Pozuelo in this match. Um, it, it's to me going to take some time to adjust to seeing him in go from the the red to the pink jersey. It sort of looks like he left it in the hot wash or something. Um, <laughs> but I I thought he was very active and I, I thought over overall he seemed to adjust quite easily to the Miami system. Um, ultimately, uh, although Charlotte played well, um, Reyna's second goal was, I think, if it hasn't already been voted goal of the week, it's, it's got to be, it's just an insane hit. Um, but unfortunately, (laughs) it wasn't the the juggling, the juggling from, from Robert Taylor was amazing on that. Yeah, yeah, and the 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 Miami goal, uh, Robert Taylor, who is not a a player I've heard a lot about, oh. but just dribbles dribbles through traffic um, to get Miami on the board first, and and Fuchs is just sort of left watching him as he he dribbles past and shoots, and you know we've we've seen this from uh, Miami at times, but it was interesting to see it from Charlotte's uh, back line, just kind of all standing there watching it happen. Right. Okay. You were referring to to Jordy's second one is the 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 one that could be goal of the week. Yes. Sorry. Which was? Oh, yes, the curly goal. The the one just before the end of the, the one just before the end of the period. Yeah, I think it came in from like a sort of uh, overcooked cross and and landed at his feet, and he just tees it up and curls it perfectly into the top right corner. So we have another belter from uh, Iguain to tie it, and then we have a, a, a stoppage time winner. Um, and I just feel that 
you know, it's kind of funny, despite the fact that we just described, um, you know, an attempt to a, a similar attempt to come back from, from LA. I guess this wouldn't actually happen. The Emerson Rodriguez mm-hmm. goal here. I always just think when I see those sorts of things, you know, for a club that is had a rough go of it, like Miami has, um, and has sometimes seemed shaky. I think that this obviously is one of those shaky games. Um, that's mm-hmm. a huge confidence building result. That's a huge fan building result. I feel like a lot of people, this is going to be memorable for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think that overall, uh, like both Miami and Charlotte can play some, some good football and some, some pretty, pretty football as well. Um, I'm not a big fan of the, the high scoring games because especially with these two, the defensive displays weren't exactly there, but I agree. I think it's going to be a big game for Miami and certainly they were a team that we'd, I think I would say I wrote off a little bit at the beginning of the season and they've, they've steadily climbed up in the East. I'm not fully convinced yet, but you know, they're still above New England and Atlanta, so they're, they've got to be doing something right. Um, and it, it, it looks like that team piece and, and some of those, uh, that chemistry is starting to gel a little bit now for them. Um, great uh, win for Minnesota against D.C. That's right. The Reino, the Reino, God, the So Show keeps rolling ahead uh he lights things up and scores two in this one no new coaching bump here for dc um another scoreless game for them um the, i loved the uh the the what was described as a karate kick assist from from Amaria. <laughs> i guess yeah, no it was it was a good match um and and Minnesota looking a little bit more lively. Um, I'm glad to see my Minnesota predictions finally coming somewhat true. They're sitting fourth in the West now. You want to talk about momentum issues? Um, as I was doing transfer wise in New York, um, LA have really needed a spark of some sort because they've gone and uh, and and had a rough one in Colorado. Yeah, I. Like what? What happened? <laughs> did I miss something in Galaxy Land that they just sort of like? Did they just take the foot off the gas, or are they dealing with injuries? Um, I sort of feel like all the defensive work that Vanny had instilled in them earlier on in the season, I just like it's nowhere in sight. They've looked extremely tentative going forward. You know, their inability to get the ball to Chicharito or to to any of their forwards really. Um, and, it, you know, a good effort from Colorado here. But uh, Galaxy, where are you? What's happening? <laughs> are you all right? It's tough. I just think that, the, you know, some of the, the players have been great. Uh, Jovelic is is very interesting to me. I think that, that whenever I see him, I'm, I'm more interested. And, and Cabral has been, has been great too. But, you know, if they're missing their key... Um, the the level is the level is only rising and it's especially rising in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh goals from Rubio and uh Zardes to win it for Colorado and um 
much needed points for them. I, you know, again, Colorado's been a, a good team. They obviously did really well last season and, and have just been not having success. They are now 12th in the West, um, but putting some points together. And I say they're 12th, but they're also only three points behind LA Galaxy, who are uh, 7th. So, like, you know, it's all relative. There's still time. Um, I thought the, uh, um, certainly like, you know, we talked a little bit about the weird, the weird vibes around Zardes, who seems to only score, but people have issues with him from time to time. Um, Columbus have, have been doing well in the post Zardes era, but this goal from Zardes proving that he's doing quite well too. Yeah, and it certainly took a, a minute. He didn't exactly, you know, blaze into the rapids and immediately establish himself, and I think that's fine. I, I think that we've seen that with Zardes. We know he's good. We know he'll bag you a, a bunch of goals in a season, but he kind of he does have these dry spells he goes through where, you know, not a lot happens. But I I feel like some of the pressure that gets put on him, I'm not sure why it gets placed more seemingly more on him than other strikers of similar caliber. Um, but certainly Colorado is going to need him moving forward to, to produce. And he has done. Um, and it's, it's good to see him fitting into the, his attacking role there. Um, so here's a, here's some, some interesting stuff. Um, the, uh, one of the, the players for, for the galaxy center back, Derek Williams, told uh, Spectra Sportsnet, uh, we're not playing as a team. There's lots of people playing as individuals. The manager gives us clear instructions, and there's times when people don't want to do that. It's frustrating. Feel for the staff because they put so much work in, and then when it comes to the game, some people just have their own agendas. It's frustrating. And we can't keep going on like this because it's not good enough, and we're sick of losing. It's not good enough. It's just not good enough. Um, And then... The uh, focusing every minute when you're on your pitch, you do the job that's being asked of you. Um, be honest with yourself when you things go wrong, but we're not doing that lately. And then Sasha Question sort of tried to um, Sasha Question tried to kind of smooth it over somewhat and just say, you know, I just think that we need to be all on the same page when we're doing something tactically. Uh, and so that's the most important in, in MLS is that all 11 guys on the field are committed to the exact same goal with the exact same ideas. And if one guy takes a break or takes a moment off, the dominoes start to fall and the game becomes difficult. So I think it's all about us committing to each other and committing to the common goal, and we have to do that by sticking together. And like I said, trying to build the confidence up in our group again. So a bad time is being had. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And, I mean, it also it's not great when... Things like that are getting aired publicly. <laughs> Ideally, that's the kind of thing that Vanny has under control. And so I, I think for me, that's part of the question here is, does Greg Vanny have control over his team? And, and is the the messaging getting through? Because it certainly sounds like, at least from some players, that it might not be. Um, I'm curious as to who those players would be that are, are playing for themselves. I, I feel like when I've watched Galaxy, I agree they haven't really looked like they're playing as a team, but I don't know that I necessarily could tell you, like, oh, this guy's been, you know, not pulling his weight or, or trying to do his own thing. Um, 
and and also like sometimes that's also what you get from uh i think a, a defender's perspective is it, it can be incredibly frustrating when you're you're trying to man the back line and do everything you can for your team and you're not seeing your forward players uh, do their defensive effort. I, I mean, I'm making some assumptions there, but the, I feel like that's usually where the, the gripes are, are coming from, is uh, it takes 11 players to defend and 11 players to attack as well. Um, the other, you know, thing that would be remiss to mention in terms of things been, um, you know, off the mark is that they've been missing Chicharito for the last two, um, and they expect that he and Mark Delgado will be back um, this weekend to play Atlanta. That's right. Yes, um, and and hopefully that that will that will help. But of course, uh, it all hinges on the service. See if we can get that ball to old Chicharito. Um. So there, uh, we, there was an interesting um, mix between uh, Philadelphia and New England. I feel like Philadelphia has has felt relatively unstoppable here. So I was a little surprised when New England was able to get that first goal. Um, with Gustavo Bow ripping it on his first touch after being found by Brandon Bly. Um, but then, of course, Philadelphia did get two goals and were able to eventually uh, get the home win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Philly sitting on top of the Eastern Conference. Jim Curtin just seems to hold all the cards. He just seems to know what it's going to take to break down each team. And as you say, despite New England getting the go-ahead goal here, um, Still can't defend set pieces worth a damn. Ure heads one in. Um, then Gazdag gets a, a pe- scores a penalty um, just moments later. Uh, New England did have a, a very late chance cleared off the line by Martinez, but there's really not much to not like about Philly right now. And it's got to be frustrating for Bruce Arena as well to see his side, I, again, playing fairly well. Um, but... Again, defending of set pieces just seems to be their Achilles heel. Um, and they give up the three points to Philadelphia in this one. Um, I felt that Austin's game last week, or in last week, on, on Wednesday against Houston, um, it looks like that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, with a great uh, free kick from Diego Fagundes, the... Maxi Rudy goal was very pretty, and they then went on to, uh, you know, in the in the Copa Tejas um, race, uh, yeah, go have a one one a one one draw against Dallas um, away to Dallas. I feel like that seems like it has been uh, pretty competitive as well. They didn't get the win at it, but they were able to come back and get the draw. Yeah, it was an exciting match. Uh, it was just absolute chaos for the first 10 minutes. Both sides putting shots on frame. Both, shy, both sides making lots of mistakes. Um, but overall, a good match. And I'm, I'm liking these Texas Darbies. I'm, I, I just feel like they've got some good bite to them. There's lo- Everybody's just going for it. Um, I had one more note in this one. I think it was, oh yeah, Diego Fagundes levels it on 79 minutes. Um, pass, the Dallas goalkeeper, just phenomenal. I feel like this this weekend especially, but the whole last game week, there has just been some absolutely incredible saves. So I've been trying to pay closer attention to who all had them. Um, 
but I think it, a, a fine result here for both teams. Um, I think what's so interesting is that you'd think between the three um, Texas teams, they would be a little bit closer because when they play each other, it feels like the games are always close. But you've got Austin in second, Dallas in sixth, and Houston in 11th. Um, despite the fact that they seem to be able to get draws off each other. They're right. making up the points elsewhere. Yeah, they're, they're picking up the points elsewhere. You know, the ability to get results out of Texas is also important. Um, I like this trophy. I like the trophy. I like the fact that it's supporter-created. I think the design of the trophy is cool. Um, I am wanting to let these things breathe as rivalries because I think that there's nothing more annoying when than when the league, you know, tries yeah. to tries to, to push it on its own, but this is supporter, you know, base, so that's good. I just like I understand that the old the four oh one derby was a very like Toronto centric name for Toronto Montreal, but I just can't get with Canadian classic at all, so that was bothering me as well in this rivalry week. But I'd also seen posts saying like Oh my god, this trophy is so amazing. I can't understand why other all other teams don't have a you know, a, a regional or some sort of regional championship. I was just like, hey bud. <laughs> some do. Some okay. do. There's there were there have been a lot. I wonder if some of them have, you know, I, I heard a Columbus person saw a Columbus person on Twitter say like where is the actual Trillium Cup, which is supposed to be awarded to the winner of the Columbus TFC rivalry? The other answer, and in, in I think that this is part of my issue. This is this has been a problem with the Cascadia Cup between Vancouver, Portland, and Seattle, and and, and I think it's a little bit of an issue with the way that they've set up this Copa Tejas thing. Is that like um, part of the reason why this has been harder to set up is because MLS refuses to have balanced schedules. So you have to create sort of like a magical three week period or you have to you have to sort of elect um we're gonna we're gonna count these games for the trophy and we're not gonna count other games. Why? It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it does become sort of like you have to plug it into the algorithm to figure out who won. Um and it, it felt like there was it felt like there was a time when it was simpler, and of course that time was before there was ninety seven thousand teams in MLS. I feel um, like they could. I I feel like if they if if it was a goal that they could establish more balanced play. It's true. Well, and and maybe with the new uh, IMLS Apple contract and games happening on consistent dates, maybe that will happen. Um, one can dream. But in the uh, Classique, it was Montreal who emerged victorious. Um, despite TFC having the reinforcements arriving, of course, Bernadeschi arriving was the big news for them this week. Um, it was not to be in this game. Um, you know, you've got K, Insigne, Bernadeschi, probably more arrivals, uh, maybe more in the summer, definitely in the winter coming. Uh, however, it was a Lucas McNaughton own goal to seal Oops. this one and give Montreal all three points. So hasn't quite turned around for Toronto just yet. I'm a little surprised we haven't seen K. Uh, did, was K in on this one? 
I I think he was. I think he was. Um, I should note, Akinola did score a goal, but it was called offside. And then just to make things uh, truly a classique, Kamal Miller was sent off late by Ted Uncle. Um, I thought it was kind of antics from the goalkeeper, Bono, that got him sent off. Um, he Kamal Miller's also since been fined for not leaving the t- pitch in a timely fashion, which you should do even if you shouldn't have been sent off. <laughs> so this that one had a bit of everything. It's uh, I feel like it's a very Canadian MLS thing to win the game and also have a player sent off. <laughs> because you might it, 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 one might as well. Um, yeah, just to, just to keep you some humility in it, you know. Keep your head on your shoulders. Seattle with an, uh, giving up another uh, tight one nothing loss. It's time to Chicago. Yeah, not a byline I necessarily thought we would be talking about at any point this season, but Chicago, I felt like, went in there and, and got what they needed out of this game. Um, of course, Seattle continues to be missing some players. I actually feel like the players that they've brought in to replace those players, like Stephen Cleveland, have been equal to the task, but as a team, they've just been a bit aimless. Um, the forward players just get, like getting chances, but not being able to to put them away. And it's Zichos in the 23rd minute for Chicago finds room between the center backs. It's just very frantic from Seattle. And um, yeah, again, it's sort of sometimes with the, some of the more experienced players, I felt Nick knew who was pretty shaky in this one for Seattle. Um, Obviously, still a fantastic defender, but we saw the three at the back get a, a little bit untidy for Seattle in this one, and they're they're continuing to sputter. And uh, I think it was Lodero who said this week, like we're not the same team that won the Champions League, and, and that's a little bit concerning. You know, they're not totally outside of the playoff picture, but you know, really struggling to get many results put together. Um, and they are in the middle of the pack in 8th, 9th, and 10th with Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver in that order, all uh, tied or a point apart. Portland and Vancouver um, were uh, were also locking horns on this quote-unquote rivalry week. Did rivalry week include both match days? Like, was it, <laughs> did they spread the rivalries? I believe it did, but I think rivalry, rivalry week started last week like we we caught part of it in our last show and then this was like part two rivalry week is in our hearts it comes with us wherever rivalry it comes with us wherever we go and essentially anytime there's a rivalry game it's rivalry week that's what i think yeah it's not shark week eh? (laughs) any week of the year so after vancouver had gone to cincinnati we you know speaking about this road trip um, mm-hmm. and had been able to, uh, you know, late in that game, um, even up with the goal from Christian Dahomey. Um, there is a, a, another sort of uh, match here where I would say that, that a 1-1 draw away to Portland is, um, from, from how things have been going for Vancouver in the last, you know, a uh, couple of months, not the, not the end of the world. It's a little bit disappointing that it comes through a penalty kick. Um, but that goal mm-hmm. from Brian White was uh, was marvelous. The, the ball from Ryan Raposo, marvelous. Yeah, I think that's his third assist in three games now for Ryan Raposo. Wow. Um, 
And a, yeah, definitely a player that I've I've had some criticisms of, and I believe I've said, you know, I didn't believe he was starting material, but hey, I love to be proven wrong by a player on my team. So uh, hats off to him. He's He's been absolutely fantastic. Um, I feel like Isaac Bomer coming into this one, uh, he had subbed in in the last game um, against Cincinnati, but he was started this one. I thought he was very strong. Um, as much as we've not had luck with goalkeeper health, I feel like we've had really good luck with having goal, good goalkeepers who can come in and are just ready. The, um, the Okanagan Falls BC product. That's right. In the Okanagan uh, Valley, let's win, let's win the next one and I'll go to Tickleberries for ice cream. Wow. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like, yeah, I agree. This is a, a, a totally fine road point to get out of it. Um, it's unfortunate that there's a, it, it sort of just comes down to mistakes. The second half certainly had some of those. I felt like Tristan Blackman, again, just was sort of playing on skates. He hauls down Blanco, um, and it's Mora, I think, who scores that penalty. And... You know, as as good as like Kubas has been, and the the new additions, and I'm sure Gressel will slot in very well. It, it's still just sort of screaming to me like defensively, something's got to change here. Um, if this is your starting back three in Nerwinski, Veselinovic, and Blackman, there needs to be some improvements there. So for me. You know, again, things look good for the Whitecaps. This is a great road point, but defensively, the mistakes keep costing us, and it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, opportunities like these to go and grab three points, they do add up after a while. <laughs> so it's it's better to be drawing than losing, and also I want to see the, the Whitecaps go for the jugular a little bit more um, and, and tighten things up at the back as well. Uh, but overall, fine point. A little bit of uh, heated exchange after the match just to really show it was a rivalry with Vanny Sartini getting into it with one of Portland's assistant coaches. But apparently after the match, Sartini is like, we're friends. It's fine. So, uh, Oh, my God. I have the all tweet. good there, but a, a little heated. I have the tweet here from J.J. Adams um, of the province. It's beautiful to go into this heated argument with friends. Oh, in an absolute <laughs> world, friends would get together more often. Miles is a friend of mine, so we are good. We ready, we, we're ready to hug each other after that. Kind of an exchange of words, no problem. Um, he then follows up by saying that the, the, the nature of the argument was a bit vague, said it was about the Timbers complaining about missed calls and the Caps' players' behavior. So particularly explaining what that behavior might be. Yeah, well, I I mean, I don't want to, like, rile things up too much, but also Portland Timbers fans were still whining about this game the next day. So I think there was some um, perceived fouls that didn't get called, um, and I'm, I'm sure there were, but overall I felt like this was a fine game. The referee did his job, and both teams came away with a point, but sometimes when it's in your house things could get a little heated and uh, of course who knows exactly what went on in the field on the pitch rather but um yeah like signs of life from the white caps yet so they're they're hanging in there and certainly not looking like a powerhouse just yet um but we'll see how things go to your point about defense um we were we we addressed this a little bit when it came to Gressel. Um, 
that uh, Stephen Goff of the Washington Post basically like thought that the reason why this made sense for DC to let the, the player go was because Wayne Rooney is is considering basically moving away from from wingbacks into a three three at the back style system. Well, it's the Whitecaps use a three at the back style system, so um, that would imply that we are moving towards a sort of a wingback idea. Yeah, it it will be interesting to see. I mean, I think the the wingbacks, I mean, they've been calling the wingers wingbacks and seemingly expecting them to do defensive duties as well. So I my impression was the Whitecaps would be keeping their formation and just putting Gressel in where Dahomey is and then using Dahomey either as the sub there or as a second striker or playing him on the left as well. But... Um, th- that could be something that they explore. I-, I feel like they have brought in some defensive reinforcement in those areas. Um, and-, and, like, the thing that's frustrating is that, like, Tristan Blackman is a great center back. I think he's a good defender. It's just that it, it gets a bit frantic. He's still learning his trade, and uh, a couple of mistakes in a game usually means one of them is going to result in a goal for the other team. Mm-hmm. So I-, I just think that if we're doing an honest honest assessment of where they're at, they they need to be bringing in an experienced center back, not necessarily a DP, but like probably pretty close in the salary range. If only we could have. Are you telling me we couldn't we couldn't have convinced Giorgio Chiellini to come here? <laughs> I'm telling you, we probably couldn't have. <laughs> But if we could aim for somewhere like, you know, maybe 30% of the player that Giorgio Chiellini is, then I think we would be in pretty good stead. Listen, I keep saying that Danielle Henry is available. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not against that. You know, and and part of me even is sort of like, you know, Jungwirth also has his moments, both good and bad. But for me, I would be considering having him starting over Blackman at this point or possibly Veselinovich sometimes as well, but oh well, it's a it's a work in progress, that one. Um, elsewhere around the league, Sporting Kansas City just got pumped for three goals by RSL. RSL's looked real good. Um, I don't know that this game tells us a lot other than a team that's been performing really well, that's recently brought in reinforcements, played against Sporting Kansas City, who just you know, struggling with injuries but they just barely showed up to this one um just too often there's just no pressure on any opposing players and and sporting kansas city always looks like they're just sitting waiting for the game to come to them and it did because cordova ruiz and Severino all scored and sporting had nothing to say about it and walked away with nothing i thought russell looked great uh in the wednesday game but you just can't um, you can't only rely on, on Russell and, and Roger Espinosa, who was the one who got sent off for the foul. Um, yeah. My only other point is eliminate the excessive celebration yellow card. Um, mm. Sergio Cordova scored, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a rush of emotion, pulled his, uh, his, his get off. Just, just go with it. Don't, no, there's... It's, it's no longer the 90s. We're no longer in uh, or, or in a 90s or, or 2000s panic that 
you know, people might like to look at, you know, ripped football players. Just, just let them, just let it happen. Free the nipple. Wild suggestion. We just play shirtless from here on out. If all the jerseys are white anyway, is it that different to just have everybody shirtless? Listen, we've been talking about the heat issues. Just saying. Just saying. MLS after dark. Listen, all of the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to segue away from that. Um, you just have to make branded guess... the, the, sensor, the sensor vests. You just have to make them branded. That's it. Exactly, yeah. Everybody gets bimbo bread tattooed across their uh, abdomen. Um, I guess we should talk about Tati's possible, well, I guess confirmed now or almost confirmed last game for we're now. We're getting one more. City. I think we're getting, we're getting one, one more. more. Okay, okay. So he gets a farewell tour. Well, in the penultimate uh, lead up to that, I felt like he was ready for this to be his last one because it was a bit of the Tati show, lots of chances. This was, of course, City against Red Bulls. Um, yeah, great bicycle kick. Um, some good saves in this one from both Cornell and Johnson, but it is Castellanos who gets the lone goal to send City home with all three points. Um, I felt like the Red Bulls played okay, and I'm still sort of amazed that they're as far ahead in the league as they are because I, I'm sometimes I'm watching them and I'm like, do they actually have any strikers though? <laughs> I guess Lakinius is, and he's been good, but See, this... I think we're just used to seeing a Red Bull side with like some more well-known names up top um, and some real out-and-out strikers, and they've, they've certainly become more of like a, a strengthened team across the board, um, but without necessarily the showy names up top. Um, and they've been doing okay. Up to this point, this but is City's going to do what City does. This is the point you're mentioning about the, the hitting up the top about things being so packed. Where you know the the distance between third and New York in third and Cincinnati in seventh is six points, um, and all of those teams—New York, Montreal, Orlando, Columbus, and Cincinnati—are teams that have players that can produce and can can change games and get great goals. Um, and they are also uh, players. There are also teams that can all just happen to drop the groceries and just be <laughs> yeah. like, Oh no. Oh my cabbages. They're still everywhere. <laughs> what can I, what is that? I love that. I love that image. That's that. I feel like that's very apt. And the, in New York, the sure, the sure handed bag carrier, uh, gets your milk in safely. If we're going to extend that metaphor, because defensively they've had what very few teams have had in, in it either conference and and that's just the ability to lock up shop and i think it shows even in this game that city was was up for it and sucks to lose in your house but also you know again new york city is going to win a lot of their games and it could have been a lot worse and they stayed in this one so it's not it's no panic button moment for new york although i'm sure they will not be happy about losing that rivalry San Jose, who I felt have looked pretty good as of late, um, drop one to the visitors Houston on Sunday with uh, with Jackson Ewell um, scoring on a goal that looks like it might have been from a Houston defender uh, or a Houston player screening their own goalkeeper. 
Um, but then he's a little bit, yeah. He used to get too quick in the 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 between the seventieth and eightieth minute to uh, to to eventually get the three points. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think San Jose has certainly ha- showed um, some more quality a- as of late. Um, again, still struggling down at the bottom of the table, but certainly that they had that win against LA Galaxy. Um, but just defensive mistakes again cost them. I, th- I feel like they did have some fight in this one. They had a late chance, but Tim Timmy Parker slid in and cleared it off the line. Um but then it was another error in their own end where they just get stripped of the ball. And then within four minutes, Houston's come from behind zero one to make it two one. And it, it still just feels like that's a little bit too easy to do to San Jose at times, but yeah, there's such a, they're up, they're down, they're up, they're down. And it's all sort of averaged out to mean that they're mostly down. Um, and Houston is able to, to come away with the points I still feel like Houston is better than their <laughs> results have shown. Um, and so I wouldn't say this is the most difficult game they'll have this season, but it was a good win for them. They are now sitting in 11th in the West. Um, we have some international stuff to talk about, um, but there's something that I wanted to point out. Um, and it's this piece from June 28th in the New York Times. Did you get a chance to take a look at it? I didn't um, no. And a diagnosis brings CTE into American pro soccer. Um, mm. It is a feature about Scott Vermillion, who played four seasons in MLS um, for uh, the Kansas City Wizards and for um, Colorado. Um, and essentially, uh, in he has pa- he has passed on, and because that is the only time that you can detect um, chromatic, uh, chronic traumatic encephaly, um, encephalopathy, I think, the uh, essentially a, a degenerative brain disease that comes from taking a lot of blows to the head. Um, mm-hmm. We now know that he is sort of the first, he is the first uh, confirmed case of this. He had started in 1998. Um, and mm. although there has been concerns of talking about um the you know there the the piece quotes a doctor who says we shouldn't always link CTE and in, in a drastic shift in a player's behavior. Um, there was a drastic shift in a player's behavior. He, he with it, you know he apparently sort of deteriorated really fast in terms of withdrawing from his family and getting into getting into um, you know substance abuse issues and domestic battery issues and and the family are hoping to come forward with the story and, and hoping to, to, according to the story, inform families about the hidden risks of soccer. And so this will be, this will, um, I think, be a, an important step uh, in the discussion about CTE, in, in, which is, I think, that um, broadly the American, the American press and public takes very seriously, mm-hmm. um, in, for good reason because there's some horrific things that can happen. And, and sometimes you just think, well, are we waiting for a, a truly horrific thing to happen for things to things to, to try and make some changes? And I have to admit, I watched this story. I read this story and then I watched all these, I, I got, you know, 
my research done for for this week's episode and every and I thought about it every time I watched a headed goal you know it's so prevalent yeah. and it's so uh it's simultaneously it's it's some it seems so integral to the game right now but um there have been discussed like you know there have been uh attempts to work on it at a, at a lower level and, and, and to try and ban it in, in youths, which I think is good, but yeah, I think, well, I was going to say, cause it's not just at the, the professional level. It's when you've had, you know, X number of concussions f- over a 15 year period. And that's before you've even gone pro that, that stuff gets really scary really quickly. I was really happy. So in that midweek game, there was, um, in Cincinnati, there was a really awful, um, collision for Cody Cropper of the White Caps, mm-hmm. who had who had collided into Javane Brown while jumping up and essentially done a full rotation and, and come right down on his head. And, and I'm a wrestling fan, and you know those are those are stretcherful moments. Yeah, um, those are those are heart and mouth moments when you look at how that how his neck looked and how his the way he landed. Um, but unlike the the wrestling stars, I the the recent the last the cases in the last five years of, of wrestlers breaking their necks in the matches, uh, he doesn't land on his neck every week. So that's yeah, that's but he yeah. did like end up being taken out of the game for concussion reasons. So I'm very glad that he's okay and things are okay with him. But you're right that there's a there is a career long thing that, that that accompanies this. But I just think. I don't know. I'm not really somebody that's a thousand percent read up on the debate about headers, but I certainly started thinking about it more when I read this story, and and I also um, the story by uh, where's the byline here? I got to make sure I read that by Andrew Kett, and I just think that the there are so many things that are out of the game that we will never have even remembered were in the game. You know, we've, I don't think that if, if we, if we decided to flip the switch and say, we don't want headed goals anymore. I think that honestly, the game will just adapt because I mean, it's like handball. We, we, we already have a part of the body that we're not allowed to hit the ball with. So what's another one? Yeah, I'm. I mean, and and certainly at like taking a look at all levels of it as well. I mean, it. I think it's easy to have emotional reactions to change in a in a sport that you've been following, um, but of course the cost here is like people's brains. So I think it is worth looking at, and doing whatever we can to reduce that. And it it has been good to see the progress made in MLS, and you see. Uh, the attitude towards concussion protocols has shifted a lot, but there there is still a very long way to go with it, and there's going to be persistent attitudes from players. At the very least, of course, there's talk around um, having just a concussion substitute so that you actually, like, you're able to leave the field and get checked out properly, and you're not able to come back on um, before being cleared by a doctor and just making sure there's enough time to go through all of that. Um, obviously there's already been changes made, but there, there's lots more that we could do here. So, um, yeah, I agree. I'm not, also not exactly up to date on all of the, 
the most recent research around it and things like that, but certainly having had a, a couple of concussions myself, like it, it's something I think about and certainly am much more aware of it now. And it's just not something you want to be fucking around with. Well put. Um, the... As many important doctors have noted. Don't fuck around with your noggin. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I think that they did. I'm very glad that Cody Cropper is okay and that he got to come out and that, 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 that Isaac Beamer has been having a great time in that role. He did go back in the game, though. That's a little concerning to me. It, yeah, it always makes me nervous. I, I like um, that they do get checked out, but at the same time, I feel like it's too easy sometimes for a player to insist that they're okay and go back in. Again, I, I trust everyone to do their jobs properly, but I would rather just not risk that. Um, it's also really hard because you don't always see the effects right away. Um, and there, there's a lot of adrenaline flowing that can maybe sometimes make a player seem better than they are. But Do you know what yeah. I would almost um, want for a concussion sub? And this is a, a position like goalkeeper, which is even tougher because obviously there's such a, a, a value tied to it. Um, but as much as it's great to have an extra spot in for a, an extra spot to bring a, 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 a player on, which should hopefully make the decision to take a player off like way easier to just say, mm-hmm. whatever, if there's a question, when in doubt, take them out. Um, yeah. I think that that would be a great regime. Of course, it's a little challenging. Would you think that it would be too damaging to to the way substitutions work in the game if you could simply pull a player out, especially a goalkeeper, and then, like, you could then maybe at halftime put them back in without losing a spot? And, you know, like, like clearly if what that interaction would prove to you is that it's still the the proposed negative impact of leaving the game is still so great that people are not feeling confident about doing it. So we, yeah, we need to grease I it can, up more. That's what, I, that's what I think. Like, yeah, I think you're always going to have moments where coaches, players, etc., like abuse a rule and, and try to take advantage of something. But it, it feels like you really don't have much to gain by doing that. Like, I, I don't see too many teams really thinking like, oh, we can really milk the substitution rule here to take a player out and then put them back on. I, I still feel like the risks to the player are much higher of having them play through a possible brain injury um, versus the slight tactical, you know, mind fuckery that might come from <laughs> pulling a player off certainly it's it's something to think about but i don't see that as posing like a major risk to the game where all of a sudden players are getting pulled out left right and center for quote-unquote concussion protocols i mean we haven't had that up to this point so i i don't see why we why that would necessarily change um but yeah it it could happen in theory um, before we move on to the international news, I just wanted to know if you're an Atlanta or Orlando fan. Yes, that game happened as well. Oh, one, one draw. shoot. That's all right. No, it's, I mean, it's fine. I, I feel like it was <laughs> a, a, a much build match. It was a fine game. Um, Perea got, got a goal. Lots of posts hit. That's all she wrote. Good point for both teams. One of the things that happened this past week on July 12th, um, TSN's Rick West, Westhead uh, came up with some more information sort of moving that uh, the 
Canadian men's national team, Canadian women's national team agreement agreements over the FIFA bonus down the down the road somewhat. Um, with some interesting concepts on the, the Canadian soccer business saying alleging essentially that that we we had earlier heard it alleged through the Canadian player statement that mm-hmm. that that this Canadian soccer business deal had tied the hands of of the federation. Well, we now through this reporting, it is alleged that it's it's CSA president Nick Bontis who came into after essentially after they had already been protesting to be like. Come on, guys! Our hands are tied. We don't. This is. We need this revenue, um, because allegedly, um, Canada, the, the the Canadian Premier League owners get all of the rights revenue and all of the sponsorship revenue. So when when like CIBC announces a new five million dollar sponsorship deal, those monies go to Canadian Soccer Business, which is owned by the Campiel owners. Um, alleged in this story and they only have to pay they 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 pay a stipend to the federation in order in, in exchange for this business arrangement but the stipend is only three point the the maximum amount that it can be is 3.7 or 3.5 million by the time the agreement ends in 2027 or 2028 or or, or whatnot um mm. which is wild like again the the, in 2019, that fee was five million. The guarantee climbs each year, topping it at 3.5 million in 2027. Um, CSB has the right to unilaterally extend the deal for ten years. Good God, <laughs> <laughs> that's such bad business. Who signed this? <laughs> Not the board. Uh, a board member. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. T- Basically, a set, basically they said uh, a board member alleges it that essentially they went to the board in September, um, and said, "Well, we uh, we have some issues about it," and, and and then they came back in December and said the the contract has been signed, the board approved it. Well, at what meeting? Is the allegation in the story? Um, there's also allegations that that essentially the the women's team hire was not consulted with the board um, one of the other I think you know inflammatory things in the story is the idea that um, that um, the what's the name of the, the former women's national team player that's now the coach in Portland in NWSL um, oh as soon as you asked me the name Rian Wilkinson that's correct um, so Wilkinson Ooh. essentially had accepted, had allegedly accepted an offer um, to become the women's national team coach and essentially asked, like, I need staff guarantees and I would like to know what the previous national team managers made, which the previous national team manager would be John Herbert. Right. And the allegation is that when she made this request, um, her hiring was revoked. God damn it. <laughs> So there's that. There was. I know that there's a. I know that like you know we only know so much, and that's that's part of the issue. But just seems like there truly are some really scuzzy people in and around that. Uh, Good heavens! What a mess. Canada Soccer had a response where they had just like a really mind-boggling math thing, where they tried to suggest that the problem with the players' request was that 
They wanted 40% net of taxes from the estimated $10 million bonus, which would have been $8 million given an estimated marginal tax rate of 50% on average, which, if you would have paid the same to the Canadian Women's National Team, would have been would have essentially made a request of sixty million dollars commitment based on a ten million dollar source of funds. That's very spurious, <laughs> man. I have okay. I have heard from some folks that, that deal with contract law. They're just like that makes no sense. They're trying to say the players needed, the players wanted for sure to be getting a number that amounted to. 40% of the bonus after tax, so you had to pay them 80% of the bonus to, so they could get 40% of the bonus. And What? None of this makes any sense! Nor does it exactly inspire confidence that these are the same people that were looking at the math of the contracts that they signed that have, like, 10-year clauses in them. After, um, in, in the, the previous, you know, stage of the Canadian soccer brouhaha, um, the the two teams have been putting out statements that the women's team and the men's team, I wouldn't necessarily say that you could 1,000% go with everything in the men's statement because there is some issues, you know, around equal pay where, you know, the it was pointed out at the time where it was like, you know, equal percentages does not equally, does not mean equal dollar figures. Um, yeah. But now, you know, and if you want to hear a voice that can really let get everyone in the room to shut the fuck up and listen, um, Christine Sinclair posted a statement from a joint statement from both teams. Um, players deeply troubled by the content of yesterday's article by Rick Westhead raises serious questions about how Canada Soccer has made continues to make important decisions that affect not only our teams but the future of soccer. Um, Why did uh, talks about basically points out that the article says that they were made the the decision the the CSB business contracts were made quote without allegedly without proper disclosure to the board without a, authorization by the board or without a proper appropriate diligence. Um, the can't do anything anymore. I appreciate. I especially appreciate this point because so how rarely do you see this pointed out by the the people in in a public relations, you know, thing like this. The statement issued by Canada Soccer in response to the article was also disturbing. While it was clearly issued in response to Rick Westhead's article, the statement denies none of its contents. Instead of acknowledging the significant governance issues raised by Rick Westhead, Canada Soccer tries unsuccessfully to put a positive spin on what the article reveals. Yeah. Well, at least they didn't try to hold a press conference again. Yeah, that would be that would be worse. So, it you know they tried to put uh, they tried to put this. Now we can kind of move from this into the Concacaf Women's Championship final. Uh, they tried to put at halftime. They tried to put the new general secretary Earl Cochran out in front of the the friendly one soccer mic, and the first question is, "What's going on with the, the what's going on with the the deal with the players?" And he said. Well, I don't want this to be about that. Yeah, we know you don't want it to be about that. The men are getting a union, by the way. You plug. That was another development in this, but yeah, so that was oh, so so that's also a part of this is that they're they're forming a a, a union union. 
Um, it's interesting to, you know, they, they're just, you know, they, they talked, Earl talked in the interview, Earl Cochran talked in that interview about wanting to be a model for soccer associations across the world. Not just a good one, but, but a great association on a global scale, which is so far away from what they are right now. And so far away, not just from what they are, but from what Nick Bontis basically said in an interview in June, which is we're a small organization that it's a miracle we've been able to pull off what we've been trying, what we've pulled off already. Now they're a global organization that is going to be like a great example for soccer associations across the world. Maybe by model they misspoke and what they actually said was mafia. (laughs) You may say that, but I couldn't possibly comment. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, that's a. It's just so bad. Um, it's, it's just, it's just so bad. They're so and far behind right now. What you would want, and and the worst part too is that our teams, like our teams, don't need this at any point. But we especially don't need this right now, and it's certainly not helping things. Um, and of course, we had a, a big game to focus on, and Could the I attention was elsewhere. One more point about the Canada soccer business thing. The the, the money makes no sense for the Federation. I do at least want to acknowledge one point, which is that things were rough for Canada soccer in, in, at the time that the deal was signed. And they haven't gotten nothing for their money. Um, I think that if we really sit and think about it, the math, this is the only way that the math of how did the Canadian Premier League uh, continue to exist throughout the lockout or throughout the pandemic. That's the only way that it makes any sense. So it's like you you did buy a national league with it, but unfortunately, you sold. Now that you're in a better place, you have no ability to um, capitalize on that because you you basically you you sold your current reputation years ago. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. But yes, there was a game. Um, we had the CONCACAF Women's Championship. That's right. This is always a game. This is this is the 11th version of this tournament. Um, there, th- this feels like a slightly newer, newer, fresher branding for it. Uh, but I feel like with the CONCACAF, how 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 strongly are we feeling about this World Cup qualifier in which the two teams in the finale have, have both qualified? Um, how how strongly are we feeling about this tournament with the women's gold cup in the, in the, in our future? I mean, not not crazily strong, but I, I think as ever, it's the matchup that matters to to fans the most. I think it, the the USA versus Canada is always a thing of note. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's not the end of the world or or the beginning of it, but I don't know. Mid profile. <laughs> so in the end, we have a, a, a one nothing win for the U.S. off of a of a penalty taken by Alex Morgan, um, won by uh, Rose LaBelle. Um, what are we? What did we learn in this game? Um, I think we learned what we've learned a few painful times before, in that if you don't do the business on your end, you're going to quite possibly get stung on the other end um of course it's people are calling it a dive from rose lavelle i wouldn't necessarily disagree 
Um, there's a hand in the back, but I think she goes over pretty easily. Soft. But also, I would call it soft. Absolutely. Have I seen similar types of penalties given, you know, across the world in every possible type of league and competition ever? Yes. <laughs> so I'm not particularly surprised by it. It always sucks. It's a crappy call. Um but you don't want to leave things like this to, to chance. And I felt like Canada, especially for the first 15 minutes, it was just sort of like watching an older version of the team. Really defensively shaky. Definitely they were able to uh, sort of get some of that, that vigor back. And, and overall, I thought, put in a, a decent fight. But it, it wasn't classic football from our side. And if I'm being absolutely honest... If the soccer gods have their say in this one, and I don't, I'm not sure we deserve to win. It sucks to lose in this fashion, but I, again, there's things that you can do as a team, like scoring a goal, ah! to make sure that you don't get taken out by a dumb call. Listen, fortunately, you got taken out by a dumb call. It happens. Listen, listen, listen. I'm willing to entertain all kinds of futuristic nonsense, like let's remove headers. But you've got to score goals to win games. <laughs> that seems that seems a little challenging to me. I'm just throwing out all kinds of radical suggestions. Like if you can't score, you can't win. Um, it's you know as ever. It's like Concacaf rules apply to everything. If you've been screwed in the past, assume you'll be screwed in the present. Do take control over the things you can control, and it it just feels like. You know, yeah, it's opportunistic. It's a bit of gamesmanship, whatever you want to call it. Um, USA won it. So I think we need to be a little bit more solid in our own game. But Alex Morgan essentially hip checking Rose Lavella off of the penalty kick so that she could uh, take the even spot with Julia Grosso for the gold boot in tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I was, love to see it, don't we? <clears throat> I was also going to say that I felt that in Tokyo, we beat a version of the U.S. women's national team that was going through problems. You know, the, the, they were going yeah. through goalkeeper issues. The mentality was not there. Our mentality was a thousand percent there. Um, and and this was it was a great example of, of a team with focus and determination being able to have a, you know to to get the result over a team um that was that where that wasn't necessarily there um but they have so much talent they had talent then and they still have that talent now and they they bombarded Canada and other than like you said other than than I would say like a a passage or play in the first half there just wasn't Canada was not able to get stuff going on another direction yeah um so I think that yeah, I think that's all fair to say. I don't necessarily mean that we can't get on the level of them because obviously the they they didn't they weren't able to come up with anything substantive either. Um, yeah, but we but we definitely defaulted a little bit more to that. Let's get shellacked and and, and see if we can ride that out feeling. But we do you do have to score at the end of the day. Yeah, unfortunately. I know, as a Whitecaps fan, I don't think it's fair either, but that's <laughs> the breaks. Anyway, until the next Rivalry Week, 
where can we find you online? I'm pretty sure that'll be next week. Um, the, Probably. <laughs> you can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. And you, of course, can find this podcast at thatsomls.com. Where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, also at thatsomls. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Please do that. Thank you. And until next time, if you do get sent off, please leave the field in a timely fashion, but preferably don't get sent off. Don't get sent off.